And now for something completely different. No, it's not an episode of Monty Python. It's an interview with someone who teaches parents how to outsmart their picky eaters. And as you might have already guessed, picky eating isn't just about food. And outsmarting kids is what great parenting is all about. Welcome. I'm Tracy, the host of the Essential Stepmom podcast, your source for information and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. There's a lot of material here for the dads too, because, well, because nobody talks to them about this stuff much, and it's about time that changed. There's nothing about making a step family work that comes naturally. It happens as a result of effort and actual skills that you learn and practice, you know, like tennis or chess. My approach to all of this is a bit, well, unconventional. I like to live outside the box. And if that describes you too, I think we're going to be friends. Let me hear from you. My super private mailbox is info at essentialstepmom.com and I'm always up for a chat. We're talking food today with a really smart lady. Judith Yeebsley is the brains behind theconfidenteater.com. She's figured out the secret to getting picky eaters to say yes instead of no. This might seem like a big digression for this podcast, but it's really not. This is about way more than food. I want you to listen and think about how you can use Judith's methods to get around all kinds of fears and aversions your kids or stepkids have. You know that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? This is the very exact, precise core of the stepmom problem, right? You can be so good for them. You can be so nice to be around. You can be everything they really need. But if they can't open up and give you a try, they don't get to benefit from what you have to give. So check this out and let's talk about it afterwards. Here's Judith. Hi, Judith. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Tracy. It's, it's great to have us. And I'm, I'm glad we're both in our purple matching. Yeah, exactly. Yours is winter, mine's summer, but that's okay. <laughs> but that's so cool. Where are you actually? You're in New I'm Zealand. In, yeah, I'm in Wellington, um, capital of New Zealand. So we're the windiest city in the world. What? Yes, I know. We beat Chicago by a long way. I, I guess I never heard that. Yeah, no, we're the windiest city, and not only that, but I live on the back of a mountain, and the mountain is where they they recorded the highest um, wind speed as well. So there you go; it's a double whammy. <laughs> that as much as I'm I'm dreaming about going to New Zealand one day, wind is not my thing. I have to say, I'm not I'm not a, a wind loving person. So you would probably have to be to live there. Well, uh, when we first moved here, my husband used to say to me, we didn't move here for the weather. (laughs) (laughs) But you do get used to it. You do. So tell me about The Confident Eater. How did you get started with that project? You Um, probably had picky eating kids. No, and that's the everyone asks me that. No, the opposite. My my boys would eat the table. I was always really passionate about nutrition for children because I always figured, you know, good food in, makes you feel better. Why wouldn't you go there? 
And um, and so I come from a nutrition background. And what I realized that every second parent was saying, Judith, I know what to feed them. I just don't know how to get them to eat it. And I went, oh, okay. So I went looking for people to refer clients onto. And I realized that actually, although picky eating is such an enormous problem and, you know, it affects probably 50% of parents at some stage in their child's eating journey, there just wasn't the support there for parents. And I thought, that's ridiculous. And um, so I set out to be that picky eating expert and um, and it's just become such a passion. Uh, I mean, you know, helping somebody eat more, you know, a little bit more broccoli and everything else is, is great, but taking a child that eats five foods and won't even touch other foods and getting them so that they comfortably sit at the family meal table. I mean, that's like, you know, it's like a miracle every day. And 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 that's, you know, that, Fantastic. that's Fantastic. Yeah. So like whoever's watching us right now is um, probably uh, in, in a step family situation. And I think yeah. like we encounter this a lot and sometimes it's just that, you know, it's the same kind of problem that mom has with them when they're at mom's house, that they are just really picky eaters. And yep. so that's problem number one. Problem number two is the whole um, emotional attachment or the whole emotional issue, I guess, with living in two homes and the food is different from one place to another. Sometimes it's really, really different <laughs> uh, because I can just say like in, in, in our personal situation, you know, the way that people get polarized when they, after they split up and start to little by little do things as much as possible different than the way the other parent did it. Um, you know, in our case, it was like all home cooked food at our house and all fast food and frozen food and takeout at the other house. And um, I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, you know, that the kids just don't want to eat what you make. And it's so easy to take it personally. Yes. I bet okay. like even probably even regular moms take it personally, right? When, um, when their kids won't eat what they've made. Okay. Two, two issues here. So the first one is that whole power thing. And, um, Children can only control three things, eating, sleeping, and toileting. And obviously, as you get older, the only one that you have left in your possession is eating. So it's so easy for it to devolve into a power struggle. It doesn't matter whether you're a step-parent or you're a regular parent. Yeah. That happens. I mean, I've got a teenager who's quite capable of eating everything, but at the moment, he knows food's my thing and he knows that's the way to get at me. So, you know, he's got all, all guns blazing because, you know, he knows that that's something that's going to, you know, stab me in the heart. Um, yeah. And um, and secondly, again, it doesn't matter whether you're a step-parent or you're a regular parent, especially as a, as a, as a, as a mum, we're biologically hardwired to feed children and to feed them and make them happy doing that and so when something's going wrong it just hits us in the soft bits and um and, and that's just the way it is and it's really hard to step away from that biological hardwiring so like tell me 
where where do you start? How, where do you start? How do you know what which kind of strategies work? Or maybe you do the same thing, like starting off with everybody. How do you approach this? Oh, I think it's very much eating horses for courses. I mean, eating is it's, it's emotional, it's social, social, it's it's habits, it's you know, everything comes into eating, and it just is so complex. So even if you're in a really straightforward situation, eating's complicated. If you do throw in you know, additional different families and different rules and and different ethos. It, it it it's super super complicated. So I guess my thing is, um, food should be pleasurable. Yeah. And if, so if we can put that as our first priority, then a lot of other things are going to fit into you know are going to start to sort of slot in. So food. If, if we're having battles, if food's making us stressed, if it's making us frustrated, if any of those sort of emotions are creeping in, we will be communicating that to mm. other people at the table. And so, you know, when I work with families, one of the first things I do is I say, look, when I sit down at the table, I might have had a terrible day. I might be worrying that I've got to do this, 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 and this. And I have to sit at the table, smile, <laughs> relax. And just go with the flow because if I sit down and the first thing I do is go, <gasps> then the chances of my boys doing, you know, something similar is 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 a lot higher. If I sit down and I'm relaxed and I'm smiling, it's much easier for everybody else to do that at the table too. So I guess that's a really good starting point. And, and we forget that because we do get so caught up in the, but I wish this was happening and this is not happening and this is so terrible and the child's not eating this. and the, uh. or, or we have to run out the door. You're always Ooh. in a hurry, especially the yeah. evening meal. You know, you're running out to, to mm -hmm. extracurricular activities or a club or a choir or a practice of some kind. And yeah. uh, you're just get like, come on, hurry up, eat. We got to go. That's so hard. It, it is really hard, but but that meal is often your anchoring point because yeah. especially if you've got older children, it's the only time of the day when you're actually all together. So it's such a great opportunity. And I always tell parents that the, the, the dinner table, the, the evening meal, is not the place to teach someone to eat. Oh, what an interesting idea. <laughs> I love it, that. But it's not. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'm over everything. Never mind my children who've had a full day at school and all that, that you know, all that activity going on. By, you know, five, six, seven o'clock at night, I'm done, you know, and, and so so are my children. The last thing I need to do is bring in the broccoli lecture <laughs> at six o'clock at night. And so if I've got children who are struggling to eat, it's either away from the table or it's at other meals because dinner is not the place to teach someone to eat. It's the place for us to model and then they're learning by, you know, osmosis, which oh, is- that's so great. I love that. And I wonder if you've heard this also. I, I've read that, um, that eating meals together as a family is a greater predictor of school success than anything else you can do, including homework. Yes, absolutely. Um, they, they've done studies, and actually out of the US, that um, 
eating family meals is a better predictor than than even socioeconomics. So, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is or what your income level is, that the anchoring family meal is a better predictor. Of Isn't that overall. crazy? It, it's, it's crazy. And it's so easy to do. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and okay. hang on, hang on. And, and what we need to do here is step back a little bit. And we need to define family meal because a lot of people thinking, oh, my God, I can't do the partridge thing every night. And you don't have to. A family meal is one parent and one child. So if you do have, you know, three kids and two are doing sports and the other, sit down with the third and just have your meal with the third one. If you can only do it three nights a week, do it three nights a week. Yeah. If, 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 you know, if dad or mum are working long hours, then have that compromise and once a week get them to come home a little bit earlier, you know, go in a little bit early. Come, just how can yeah. you make this work? At the very least, you've got, you know, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. That, that's three right there. Yeah. That's well, half the week. Judith, what do you what do you suggest for people who are like very deeply in the habit of just grazing like that everyone you know, everybody, maybe they make something and it stays on the stove and people come and take a, a plate full when they're hungry or that everybody just announces when they're hungry and they eat at different times. And it's, it, it, it feels awkward maybe to start a new thing where everybody sits down together. How do you get over that hump? Well, I mean, my, <laughs> one of my little phrases is grazing is not your friend mm -hmm. um, because it's really hard to feed nutritious food if it's all in snack form. Right. And, and and secondly, our bodies are not designed to digest the whole time. And so that whole, you know, we should be empty feel, empty feel rather than digesting the whole mm. way through the day. The other problem is, and especially if you've got a child who is a little bit less comfortable around food, if they're topping up, they come to the meal and go, you know what, not that, not that hungry. And then they can do without, and, and that's not where you need to be. Um, and so my thing is, how do you make that family meal table the, the place to be? And that's what we work mm. on. And there are lots of different ways we can do that, you know, and perhaps it's if we've got sort of younger kids, we can just make it into a bit of a hoopla thing. And think of your favourite restaurant, you know, is it plastic tables and screaming kids or is it tablecloths and candles? If it's tablecloths and candles... Get a tablecloth, put some candles on, get the children involved. And, you know, and having those routines is such a positive thing to do. I always tell parents to get a bell. And so mm. right before you, 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 the main meal, you, you ring the bell and you take it in turns to ring the bell. Yeah. And it, it, bedtime routines work because our brain loves to know what's happening. Mealtime routines work for exactly the same reason. So having that, starting to put routines in place where we all go wash our hands, we all do this. The children have a, a specific job they do every night. You know, Johnny puts the the, the knives on the table and, and, you know, Mia brings over the, the plates or whatever it might be. Having some candles, letting the children light the candles, Maybe they, they pick which music is playing in the background. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, but suddenly this is, and it doesn't matter, you know, if you're having takeaway pizza, you can still do that. But then suddenly you've, you've just built that routine. Now, if you've got, you know, 
dad who's the favorite parent or mom who's the favorite parent, if they're coming to the table and they're sitting there and they're wanting to be there, it's much more likely the kids will want to be there too. Oh, I, I just love that. I love all of this. And I'll just add that um, my personal favorite trick about picky eating, because I hear this a lot in the group um, and from my clients. Yeah. Uh, so in this audience, it's all like dad is the biological parent and the, the step, the, the woman is a, a stepmom right. to his kids. She might have her own kids too, but um, if she's got her own kids, she can figure out how to get them to eat. Like it's such a different vibe, you know, that the, the stepmom can't really tread on, you know, you're going to eat this broccoli or whatever. I mean, it just makes you like, that's the, that's the worst, right? Then you're, then you're the evil stepmom because you're forcing them to eat stuff they don't like, which is actually kind of traumatizing. But the whole trick is to just get dad to serve the meal. Yeah. Like, even if you made it, you just get him to put it on the plate and put the plate in front of the kid. And whenever I, you know, it comes around again and again in the group. And whenever I say that, there's always half a dozen moms who jump on and say, oh my God, that, that works every time in our house, like LOL, it just works. And it's something so easy and so silly. And if you can let go of the idea that you want to be recognized in some way for having actually cooked the macaroni casserole or whatever it is, like you can, you know, you can get them to eat it or you can get them to thank you for it or whatever, but you can't mix those things up. Like if you want them to eat the food, just get dad to put it on the plate and put the plate in front of the child or to stand at the table with everything, you know, in the center of the table and to spoon the food onto the child's plate. There's something very primal about being nourished by your parent, by your biological parent and not by your auntie or the lady next door or the lunch lady or the crossing guard or your teacher, you know, it's a different feeling to, to be receiving nourishment from your parent. And it just makes a huge difference. Yeah, no, no, I, absolutely. I think that's gold. I think that's a, that's a great strategy. But you, you said something, and I'm going to pick you up on it. And you said that, you know, as a step parent, you don't want to force your child to eat the broccoli. But, but you know what? It doesn't matter whether you're a step parent or you're the biological parent. Trying to get your child to eat the broccoli is, is, is really not where you want to be either, you know, because food is joyful and it is about pleasure. Right. And if we're anytime we're trying to do something, then that's adding a level level of discomfort. And I, I just don't know that that's where I'd want to be. Sure, we want them to eat the broccoli, but we want to sort of draw them to the broccoli rather yeah. than pushing the broccoli on them. And I that's think that's so great. Yeah. So I we have a story in my family. My mother anyway has a story when she was a little girl. Um, I guess she was quite underweight when she was little and she had to go to a special school where they fed her like it was a whole thing and she remembers having to sit at the table until she mm. ate everything and it was completely traumatizing it was so awful and and just that make you want to eat no so the, the the more relaxed we are the more likely we are to eat so if we think of that then again when we sit at that table if we're clenching if we're pushing if it's all about the eating suddenly 
we're introducing all that pressure and the child sits there. And I'll give you a lovely example here. If you go out for dinner with your extended family and you're sitting there and they're like, Tracy, are you going to eat the chicken? Tracy, why haven't you eaten the potatoes? Tracy, how come you haven't put the tomatoes on your plate? Oh, I mean, how awful. It's awful. That be? And yet we do that all the time with our children. And it's just that doesn't encourage them to eat. That That's the opposite. So do you have like where where would you start if you're if you have really a, so we already talked about making the mealtime relaxed and and putting some ambiance around it making it fun making it into a kind of a ritual yeah. um is there anything beyond that to to deal with like trying something new or you know i don't know like yeah. the kid who won't eat any green vegetables Absolutely. I mean, look, if I, <laughs> but if I'm teaching a parent how to get their child to try food, it's an hour. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, it's how complicated this is. But look, which is not to say that it can't be done, and it's not to say it's that difficult. But there are ways to do this, and so the the first thing is that we don't willingly eat something that's out of our comfort zone. Doesn't matter who we are. Like if I went to Mongolia and people are putting down, you know, goat's testicles yeah. and intestines, <laughs> I'm going to be looking at it going, oh, I'm not sure if I can go yeah. there. But if that's something that you eat all the time, then it's comfortable for you. So, for example, you know, if you went to um, to some people's houses, then olives would be a normal part of what 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 gets eaten and so olives are comfortable and you're used to seeing them whether you like them or not is another thing but you're used to seeing them whereas if you go to a house and it's the first time you see olives you're like oh what, what is that, that? Yeah. and so if we want a child to try food we've got to build that comfort level first and so that comfort comes from seeing it but seeing it's the first thing i've got a seven step step program and Number one is on the table and number seven is eating it. Okay. There's, so there's a lot between it. Yeah. But we're sort of taught as a society, if you want your child to eat a food, put it on their plate. So we go from step one to step seven and then we're like, hang on, you haven't eaten it. Well, obviously they haven't eaten it because they haven't gone through all those other steps. And so if we want our child to eat the broccoli, they've got to get real comfortable around it. And getting comfortable around it is not having on your plate and 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 mum or dad say, yeah, got it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so how can we build comfort for that? And again, it's not at the table. It's usually away from the table so our child can shop for it in the supermarket. And if they're real uncomfortable about, about something, if you go to the supermarket and they're handling in the supermarket, there's no eating around yeah. it. And so they thought it's really comfortable. They can wash it. They can pop it in the fridge. They can cut it up. They can pop it in the boiling water. And any time we've got investment in something, we're more likely to eat it again. It's yeah. not magic wand. But so if our child is involved in doing that, now I say if you've got a toddler, they can help prepare your meal. Put them on the floor in the kitchen, give them a big bowl, give them a head of lettuce. They can rip the lettuce leaves off. They can wash it in the bowl. They can rip it. They can put it in a bowl. They can wash a few cherry tomatoes, pop it in the bowl, bring it across to the table. They've made the salad. How exciting would that be for yeah. a toddler 
to make it from scratch. Now, if you can do that with an 18-month-old, you can definitely do it with an eight-year-old. Oh, that's great. I love that. I yeah, love that. So, so, you know, Daniel's made the salad tonight. Oh, this is fabulous, Daniel. This is so exciting. Another great one. And this is fabulous, especially if you've got grand, grandma and grandy, you know, the grandparents coming over or whatever. Grazing tables. They're all the rage at the moment. You can do it on a board or you can do it straight on the play, on the table, or you can do it on a big sheet of butcher's paper and get your child or, or a couple of kids to build a, a, a big sort of mm. grazing table. You know, and it's often things that they're really comfortable, so some cheese and some crackers and, you know, you can have some sliced sausages and and that's where you introduce the foods that you'd like them to eat as well and so maybe they can put some cherry tomatoes in a little bowl and they, you know. And that's such a nice idea. I never thought about that, just a piece of... Um like a uh, baking paper or butcher paper, paper uh, right on the table to have yeah. just blobs of stuff on it. Yeah, and, and what a way to build excitement about that meal. What a way to get them invested in that meal. And, and all, of course, if you've got other adults there, everyone's going, oh, wow, this is fantastic. Oh, this is, looks so beautiful. Let's take photos. How good yeah. you feel about it. Oh, that's you know, so feeling- great. And feeling good about food is always your first step. So rather than your mother who was forced to eat and had an uncomfortable feeling around food, you want to do the opposite. And once you've got that, it's far easier to then introduce the the, the less comfortable things because the experience is positive and we're looking forward to it and therefore we're approaching in a different way. Oh, that's, that's really great. I sometimes hear from people who parents you know we all have this idea I know when my daughter was little I was kind of in a bit of a control paradigm and we you know there's a fear that if I let my daughter call all the shots about what she'll eat that I'm somehow setting up an environment where she's going to be too powerful or she's going to be entitled or she's going to get used to making all the decisions and not respect me as a parent and so the idea of like when I've said just offer a variety plate like you I mean I think that was an awesome idea to just have more of a grazing table but I would have put a variety of things on a big plate in the middle of the table let's say and let everybody choose what they want and there are some parents who feel like I might have felt at one time that my kid is going to pick the same things every time she's going to take the toast and she's going to take the cheese and nothing else and this is going to go on time after time. And I'm going to be like encouraging that behavior. Like there's just a fear that that you're letting them kind of get away with something that is going to become their habit. And and I and I and I appreciate that. And and to a degree, you are correct. And that's where as parents, we're we've got enormous power. We choose what gets bought. We choose how it's prepared. We choose when it's served, where it's served, portion sizes. We, you know, we're in enormous control. And so there's there's simple ways that we can control things. Like if you don't want your, your child to eat 17 pack, packets of, you know, chippies, don't buy 17 <laughs> packets of chippies, you know. So, you know, and there are ways that we can manipulate what's going on. And so if I'm working with parents, then, 
you can have a system where, for example, you've got three different platters in the middle of the table and you choose something from each of those platters. And it's not about eating it, but the the emphasis is on putting it on your plate because if it's on your plate, you're getting to know it, you're, you, you're becoming more comfortable with it and you're more likely to eat it. Yeah, and I think... I think it probably all comes back to that idea that the the meal times have to be like really about bonding as a family. They have to be playful and enjoyable and that over time, you know, it might might take a long time. I've heard it said that kids sometimes need to see the same food like a dozen times before they'll even try it. So I guess it takes a long time and you you might feel like it's not going anywhere, but it probably really is okay so i equate this to reading we would read to a child for five six years without them reading a word back to us oh yeah do we ever give up or do we ever say to our four-year-old no you can't have a book because you can't read yet mm. so you know think of the carrots oh that's great <laughs> In the same way, and um, and when we when people say a dozen times, you know what? If if you've got a child who's on the really extreme end of selective eating, it might be fifty times, it might be a hundred times. So, you know, it, it's a long term proposition. But veggie eating parents produce veggie eating kids. Mm. So what we're doing is we're modelling because one of my favourite and, and 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 most scary phrases is when our children leave home. They follow very few of our words and almost all of our actions. Mm. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> no, that's really true. I can say from my own personal experience that my stepkids, um, as I said in the beginning, ate really, really nothing but processed food, like literally uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, either like box cereal or going out for donuts or what have you like that was the the vibe there and coming to live here where we're eating all whole food and all home cooked and you know rare restaurant meals um it took my steps on about two years yeah and he came here when he was 13 but like two by two years later he was asking for salad at every meal instead of just like first it was once in a while and often not in the mood or I don't like the dressing or you know and by the end he was eating a salad every time he sat down at the table or I mean every dinner for sure so it could it could take it could take a long time but it really does work like when they they just get relaxed enough and they see you doing it and it it just becomes normalized and they're not afraid of it it just happens and and, and if he's involved in some of those decisions and if he's involved in actually making it and if he's making and if he's choosing the dressing and it, all of those things just just help that process along but eating teaching someone to eat is a long-term proposition because because it does take time yeah that's a very comforting message i i actually really <laughs> love that you know it, i don't know everybody's on like such a tight timeline for making yes. things happen and yes. i i think the additional pressure in the step family context is that for a lot of us we only see those kids a very little bit like you know a lot of parents only have every other weekend with their yeah. kids yeah, yeah. and and so you also don't want to you don't want to like feed them stuff they don't want 
but then you know then they often it's the woman who feels either guilty for not cooking something more healthy or presenting something that's more healthy or that um feeling bad that they don't want to eat what you made or feeling unappreciated or something and like you said it's such a long-term project and it's so it's so complex and so much wrapped up in emotions um yeah. i wish everybody could you know just have a big sign nailed up over the kitchen that says it's not about you you know that would be that would be a help for a start i think oh judith this is amazing thank you so much for sharing i i kind of feel better already even though it's all through those years yes um but you know i can tell you even this week uh, my stepdaughter who lives with us who's 21 now and who really eats everything that i make for her but um, I made a lentil soup this week and she said, I think this is the best soup you've ever made. This is like first rate restaurant soup, you know, and it just really warmed my heart. Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. warmed my heart. And so you wait long enough, ladies, <laughs> you live long enough, you get to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Judith, um, oh, wait, I have a little banner here that I can show everyone. That's your website, I hope, theconfidenteater.com. Can I just um, jump in here? Yeah, um, I am I'm running um, a little thing on my Facebook group, which mm. is The Confident Eater. And it's all about how to get, um, it, it's all about how to get children to, to um, be more comfortable about trying new foods. It's, okay. it's, it's concepts. It's not, there are recipes, but it's not about recipes. You can find recipes anywhere. It's okay. I want my child to eat pasta with sauce how do I do the pasta with sauce you know I'm stuck on the plain rice how can I go from plain rice to something else so it's all of those sort of insider secrets that oh, I would great yeah yes tell me where on Facebook are you yeah so we're, I'm, I'm at the confident eater <laughs> uh facebook.com slash the confident eater yeah yes Okay. So, I'm gonna... so, so each week I'll do oat week I'll do pasta week I'll do rice week I'll do carrot week Oh, yeah. yay. Okay. Go to this place and learn all the tricks. That's, Absolutely. That's what I have to say. Just go there. And I'll answer any questions. So, you know, oh, please fantastic. do. Yeah, fantastic. Do Thank you so much for being here. No worries. You're going to be like helping so many people out here. Wonderful. God, I wish I'd known all this stuff like a dozen years ago. That's what a lot of my clients say. I wish I'd found you 10 years ago. But really, I love Judith's message. It's so gentle. It's so respectful. It's so in line with my beliefs about leading kids to let go of what's in their way so they can start acting in their own best interests. And that's as true of family dynamics as it is of broccoli and spinach. You can't force a child to like you. Even if you can force them to be polite, it's not really all that you want, right? I mean, you don't actually want someone in your life for the next 40 or 50 years who's just faking it or just tolerating you. You want to be liked. And just like spending the time getting kids involved in the kitchen and with the shopping and stirring and serving and waiting weeks or months for their resistance to melt away, you have to invest some time laying the groundwork for kids to be ready to accept you into their hearts, not just into their living room. I love this message and I'm grateful to Judith for sharing with us. 
And of course, if you use her method for food, I am certain that the habits you build into your family will actually work in favor of not just more pleasant meal times, but a happier home life all around. You can find her at theconfidenteater.com and I'll put that link in the show notes for you. Speaking of show notes, uh, by the way, my website is under a bit of construction just now. I hope to have it up and running again really soon. But in the meantime, you can find me on Facebook at Essential Stepmom and by email at Tracy at TracyPoisoner.com. Oops, and I forgot to repeat that if you're on Facebook, you can also find Judith's Facebook page and group at The Confident Eater on Facebook. Stepmom, you are essential to your family in so many ways. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you already know that one of the most important things you can do is to clear a path for the best possible connection between your partner and his kids. I want every child to have free access to the best dad in the world. That's not because moms and stepmoms aren't important too. It's because I believe it's a child's connection with dad that propels them out into the world to become all of who they're meant to be. And that feels really important to me. So if you're a divorced or separated dad listening to this, I want you to know that no matter what kind of wedge is coming between you and your kids, you are the best dad in the world for them. But you might not be the best problem solver. And that's where I come in. I'm great at taking big, complicated problems apart into simple little pieces where you can slay them one at a time so that life can be smoother and more enjoyable and your kids can relax into a permanent, unshakable bond with you. You might not be able to change all of your life circumstance, but you can absolutely transform how all of you experience it. If you want help with that, I'm here for you. Set up a free chat and let me show you how I work. I can't wait to help your kids see more of what you have to give them. Go to bit.ly slash calltracy. That's bit.ly slash calltracy, all capital letters, and I'll look forward to setting aside some time for you. Thanks for listening. See you next week.